This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Today's guest asks us to ponder an interesting question. When do you find yourself tuning into Channel Cloud9? Is it a fleeting sense of euphoria or an attainable way of life? When our guest, Jordan Gross, struck up this conversation with his Uber driver one day, he didn't expect the answer to lead to his next book. But after learning more about the stories behind the pivotal moments in the lives of those around him, he knew that living a life of fulfillment and purpose was more attainable than he realised. How? Well, it all starts by choosing the road less travelled. I'm so excited to be talking to Jordan Gross today as he's a TEDx speaker and best-selling author of the book, Getting Comfy, your morning guide to daily happiness. His next book, The Journey to Cloud Nine, is coming out in early 2020. In today's episode, I'm thrilled to be talking to Jordan about the incredible stories that have led him down the garden path to where he is today, from finding his professional parent to achieving his forever dream to give a TEDx talk. Jordan encourages us all to fling ourselves out and what ifs out the window and to live a life on cloud nine. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these amazing millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Jordan Gross. Jordan, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show. Oh, Michelle, this is such a great opportunity. Like I just told you before, I'm doing 90 podcasts in 90 days, and this is my first one live and in person. So just so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on, and I I can't wait to chat. Love that. Oh, I... It makes me so excited hearing you're doing 90 podcasts. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> How much we love them. So cool. So, you know, look, Jordan, you and I connected quite a while back now, mm-hmm. I think. Potentially Almost a year. Through, yeah. I maybe think was, longer. Maybe longer. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I think it was through the next gen community. It was. Wasn't yeah, it? that's right. Love that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and when I looked into you and, and what you're doing, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate, I appreciate you that time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great. So look, for those of us who don't know what you do and who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh my goodness. Um, so I'll, I'll try to expedite this process as much as possible because it's definitely a, a winding road that has led me to where I am now. But basically going back to high school, I was always somebody who was an insider who was always trying to stand out. 
So when I was in high school, I, I got good grades and I had a lot of friends and I was a very good athlete, right? And I was going through the motions and I went to a good college and I played sports and, you know, I had fraternity brothers who told me, okay, your next step in your career is going to be investment banking or consulting, right? So I did those internships and I, I did do a good job of realizing that I don't think those routes were for me. So I did a little bit more of a discovery process and I learned what I didn't want to do. But then when I finished up college at Northwestern, I, I kind of said, okay, I still don't, don't really know where I want to go. So I applied to a master's program in management studies to just work on my leadership skills, really get some more business acumen. And I went to Northwestern's business school for one year master's program. And that was in management studies. And while I was there, to be honest with you, Michelle, it was a pretty, it was, it was difficult, like a challenging program, but I had a lot of free time. So I decided for, for really the first time in my life that I was going to make an impact with my free time and try to pursue some initiatives that I thought would have meaning and purpose, right? So I got, I dipped my toes into the startup world. I was listening to a lot of personal growth and development podcasts at the time, reading self-help books, right? And I kept hearing this word passion, 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 right? And I thought that my passion was going to be in the food and restaurant industry. So I helped different kinds of food and restaurant startups. And then when it came time again to start looking for a job coming out of this master's program, I said, you know what? I'm going to deviate from the norm. I'm going to do something different than my peers. I'm going to follow my passion and get into the restaurant industry. And I did. I got a rotational leadership program with a big restaurant group here called Hillstone Restaurant Group. And uh, I thought I was following my passion. I thought that was going to be it. I would get in at this, this young age and work my way up and, and then have my own restaurants by the time I was 30. Um, but I quickly learned that sometimes you have to separate passion from hobbies and, and a passion doesn't always turn into a purpose. So about four months into the experience, I looked at the people who were five, 10 years ahead of me and I said, you know what, they're just making more money than I am and they're really doing the same thing. And I'm not somebody who's driven by money. So... I packed up my things and I said, what's next? And I thought about what are the key components of this experience, what I did in school, what really lights me up, what am I reading, what piques my curiosities? And I found that it was really three things. It's something that had to do with building and growing uh, relationships. It's something that had to be where I was starting something from the ground up and getting that kind of excitement going. And then the last thing was that I had to be adding value to other people. So I decided to write a book and my first book came out and it was this morning routine that turned into more of like a mental preparedness tool for anything stress and anxiety inducing. For the last year or so, I've been going on podcasts and doing talks and writing more content about how to go about your, your day-to-day life and, and use this routine to really uplift your mentality. And then recently, uh, under the whole umbrella of this positive thinking and fulfilling a purpose, I switched over to a new book, a new concept called The Journey to Cloud9 and, and a company called Cloud9 Living, where uh, I'm trying to inspire other individuals to really um, take a step to the side of their lives and establish whether or not they're living meaningfully and purposefully. So that's where we're at now. And I know that was super long-winded. I said it would be fast, but that's, that's, where, that's how I got to where I am now. I love it, yeah. Jordan. It's so funny because I've done quite a bit of research and, and looking into you and what you've done in the past. And it's so nice that you've just reflected that back to me right now. It's all <laughs> making a bit more sense. Yeah. Okay. So look, I want to dive more into your past and, mm-hmm. and, what, and what led you Ooh, to do cool. what you're doing today. So yeah. I always love, love to start with a question that I often find to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, what did your parents do? 
Mm-hmm. And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and yeah. your career so far? Yeah. So my dad is an attorney and he is a collection attorney. So basically I never really understood what he did until like last year, <laughs> but I, I figured out in the way that I can best describe it to, to people listening is he's basically like a legal bookie. And he is collecting debts from people who owe money to the, the clients that he has. Um, but it's funny because he's the nicest guy I've ever met, right? <laughs> so it, it's almost like I use my dad as an example to see that his workplace has nothing really to do with his personality. And for me, I want to be who I am at all times. So I almost use him as a little bit of a a guide and saying like, okay, this is his generation. This is how he did things. He went to school, he became a lawyer, he joined his dad's firm. And then that was the only path that he knew. So I looked at that and I said, you know what, that, that's great. And I live a very amazing life because of it. And I'm so grateful and, and privileged because of the amazing work that he's done. But I don't think that's going to be my route. So, so keeping that story in mind, um, it's really led to what I do now. And then my mom, my mom is a, a mom and she's the best mom out there. And since my brother was born, she has just been a mom to, to him and I. So that's 30 years now. Wow. And she is, um, she has MS. So every single day she battles through that disease. And, you know, my first book being called Getting Comfy, I talk about you, you can either be comfy in your situation or you can be uncomfy. Mm-hmm. And it's when you choose to be uncomfy that you truly live according to the person that you're going to be. That's how you grow and develop. Every single day, she's somebody who I see gets uncomfy, literally get like struggles out of bed, gets uncomfy in her, in her, with her walking and going down the stairs. But she does it every single day to, to best support her children, right? So I have these two amazing parents who have A, influenced me just because of who they are and then B, in terms of their careers and what they do as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find it so fascinating, especially asking that question, really seeing how they played a role. You yeah. know, I feel like so many times we we say, oh, no, it was all our decision or, you know, yeah. we, we wanted to do this. But, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, our, our parents do and have played such a large role in what we're doing today. Oh, 100%. So I find that really interesting. Yeah, and, and one more thing with mm-hmm. that too is that, I thought about my parents a lot when making the decision to even quit my job, right? And I really took a step outside of the situation and said, okay, like, what makes my parents so great? I'm always asking myself those kinds of questions, those deep introspective questions. And I came up with this. It was literally the night that I decided to leave my first job at the restaurant group I told my parents and my mom, you know, her job is to to be aware and, and to be fully uh, present with my my mental health and how I'm doing and am I eating enough and am I sleeping enough, right? That That is my mom's role. So she was fully on board with whatever I was going to do next as long as I was healthy. My dad is more of the, the guide, sort of the professional guide. What's your life going to look like? And because I, I had this awareness of the route that he took in his life, I knew that he wasn't going to be fully on board with my decision, at least to begin with. So whereas I said, I'm I'm going to leave this job and I don't really know what's next. Um, I didn't even have the book idea at the time yet. I think that came maybe a week later. He said, um, I think you should reconsider. And I think maybe you you need a plan or you need something where you're going to uh, establish, you know, a course of action. Right. And what are you going to do next for money, for food, this and that? Um, And 
I, I thought about that and I, I just then went over to my mom's side and I said, you know what, this is for my well-being. This is for my physical and mental health. And, and I can't be at this job one day longer. It's not who I'm supposed to be. And I, I don't want to live my life like that. When I did quit and figured out that the next thing I was going to do was write a book and try to build something that impacted other people, the second I made that decision, my dad turned from guide to number one supporter. Mm. And I think that's the true sign of amazing parents is that they can try to gear you in any which way direction. But once you do make a decision, if they flip that switch and say, you know, I think my dad said, how do we make you a New York Times bestselling author? (laughs) You know, that was the first question he asked me. Even five minutes before that, when I didn't tell him what I was going to do, he was saying, don't do this. You should stay at your job. Don't quit. That was the next thing that he said. So it's amazing that you asked the question about parents because they've played such a huge role in my life there. You know, I do everything I do to to make them proud. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So cool. Mm. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the parents that, or, you know, the figures that we have who potentially still don't support us when we go after our dreams and we we do something different and we we really want to go follow our passions. I mean, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe don't have the same support that yeah. potentially you and I have? What would you say to them? Two things. Um, and the first is more of a, an understanding and the second is actually a piece of advice that I'll give. So the first thing for that, and I was just listening to Chrissy Metz and Jay Shetty talk on Jay Shetty's podcast. And and uh, it doesn't really have to do with parents. Well, it kind of does. But anyway, Chrissy Metz said something that really helped her with overcoming abuse from her, her stepfather growing up. And she said, you know what? I, I realized through a lot of work that his actions on me, his, his thoughts about me, his um, emotions toward me, it was nothing personal. It was all because of things that he had experienced and things that he had undergone through his life. And I was just there for him to take it out on, right? So it wasn't actually me. It was more so him. So in, in having parents who don't necessarily um, support your endeavors, just like my dad, I took a step back and I understood, you know, this is a man who grew up you know, his parents grew up uh, in the Great Depression or like right around the times of the Great Depression. And all they knew was was to do something where you can just get by, right? To do something traditional where you can get by. And then those are the values that they instilled in him. And then because he had more of a little bit more of a st- sophisticated upbringing than many people around him, he wanted to just pass that on to me. And he saw that it was because his dad was a lawyer. So then he became a lawyer. And even though he never told me to be a lawyer, he didn't even want me to be a lawyer. Mm. Uh, it was still that he wanted me to have something stable. I think our parents always want us to have something stable, right? So in, in being an entrepreneur and following your passions and your pursuits, you have to think about where your parents are coming from if they don't support you. And it's because the values that a parent wants for a child is all about certainty. It's all about stability. And we're choosing this path that's all about uncertainty and a lack of stability, right? So I, I would say that that's the mindset that they're coming from. And that, that's the first thing that I would say in regard to that. The second thing, which is more so a piece of advice is, you know, you, your parents don't have to be your professional tour guides. So like I mentioned with my mom, I talk to my mom about every single business, you know, decision that I'm making, but I don't often listen to her. Sorry, mom. But um, <laughs> it's because, like I said, my mom is coming to me with advice about my well-being and who I am. Like, like yesterday, for example, uh, I was going over my back cover copy in the new book and I, I put in the, the, the final thank you, like the acknowledgement section of just thanking the, read, the hopeful readers that... 
Um, if you wanted to contact me, you can even text me. You can go so far as to text me. I put my phone number in the back of the book. I, I read everything to my mom, and I, I, she's, the first thing she said before she even made mention of the, the actual copy was, get your phone number out of there. Mm. I don't want anybody texting you. Like Nobody needs to know where you live, how to email you, how to get in touch with you, but that's because she wants me to be safe, right? So I don't know if I'll listen to her advice on that one, but that's, um, that's something to, to think about. And, and the piece of advice that I would have is to almost find your professional parents mm. in a way. So, and it doesn't even have to be somebody that you necessarily know. It could just be people like Jay Shetty, like, you know, my, Hal Elrod is a big one for me. Um, people who, who you really, you're all about the career path that they have chosen and you just listen to everything that, that they say with a grain of salt, obviously, in, in interpreting it for yourself. Um, but you really try to absorb all of their content, you know, listen to their podcasts, read their books, and have those people be more so the, the tour guides who are going to guide you in the right direction. And if it's not these big-time influencers and mentors, then it's people who you, you have gotten in touch with, your peers, your, um, I don't know, a professor, a colleague in the past, a boss, right? People who are a little bit more on your team and the advice that they're giving you is more aligned with how they've created success as opposed to how maybe your parents have created success. Mm. Such good takeaways, such great advice. I'm, I'm loving this. <laughs> so how do we, what do you think finding your professional parents mm-hmm. has done for you over the last year or so? Yeah, so it's it's been huge. And the first thing I'll say is a, it's a particular story. And and the, the lesson here is that finding this pro- professional parent, which I've never even said before, but I kind of like it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Is, uh, he was able to get me out of a time where I thought that I was going to stop doing all of this and go back to tradition and stability and all that good stuff. And, um, it's a guy named Peter Shankman. So at next gen last year, were you there? No, I no. Okay. At next gen in 2018, I was still in this, this, fuzzy spot, this, this nebulous area where I didn't know what I was doing really. I had a book and I had, I had done some talks, but I didn't know what the brand was going to be. I didn't know what the business was really going to be. And in that time of, of the, the lack of clarity, I kind of said, you know what, I, I think maybe it's time for me to give this up and go back and, and find a stable job and maybe do this on the side. And Peter Shankman gave a great keynote speech at NextGen. And, and at the end of his speech, he said, I will talk to any of you guys, 100%, but it's going to be on my terms. And my terms are 5.30 a.m. in Central Park on a run. So that's when my eyes lit up because I live in New York. I am an early riser and I like to run. So (laughs) I basically said, you know what? This is a great opportunity for me to get some of his time. I went on a run with him and I had already been listening to him in the past. I had uh, read a little bit of his book and I knew what he was all about. So I went on that run and after chatting for a while about him and, and how I could maybe add value to whatever he's doing, even as this 23-year-old kid at the time who I didn't even know what I was doing, um, we got to talking about me and, and he said, so what's up with you? Like, why, why are we doing this right now? Why are we running right now? And I just said, uh, you know, I, I need a little bit of guidance because I'm thinking about maybe ending this entrepreneurial ambition and going back and, and trying to get the, the Google job or the Amazon job or whatever it was at the time. And uh, he said, we actually stopped running. Mm. And am I allowed to curse here or no? 
Okay. So we stopped running and he said, are you hungry? And I said, like, right now? No, he's like, no, are you literally hungry? Do you, do you search for your food? And I said, no. And he said, do people love you? I said, yeah, of course. And he said, do people support you? I said, yes, of course. And he says, then why the fuck would you ever stop what you're doing right this second and go back to a stable job? As long as you have those three things, as long as you answer those questions the way that I did, are you hungry? No. Do people love you? Yes. Do people support you? Yes. Then you have to go and pursue what it is that you truly believe is most in line with your meaning, your purpose, your calling, whatever you want to call it. Right? So that's what I did. That gave me the kick in the butt to, to get back on track, figure out a new plan, a new strategy, come up with this cloud nine concept a couple of months later. Um, and it's really where I am today. So, so finding that professional parent, it, it was everything for me. And, and there's not just him, there's other stories I can tell where it's, it's been the same kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really a great thing to have where you can just go to somebody and know that the advice is, is for you and it's going to be of value because they've been where you have been in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So great. And I, I could not agree more. Yeah. I think that so many times, you know, on this entrepreneurial journey, especially mm-hmm. we get to places where we think surely surely we, you know, surely it can't be this hard. Mm. Surely I, you know, I've done everything. Mm. You know, how can I still be struggling? How can I still not have gotten to where I want to go? You know, and I think it really is, you know, those mentors, those peers, those professional parents of Mm. ours that we kind of turn to in those times. Yeah. So interesting. And the the other thing that I I took away from that conversation, and and I don't know, maybe it's because we went on a five-mile run and it was challenging um, and we were talking during the whole time, but uh, the other thing I took away was that in that moment, I decided that I was at a crossroads where I had two choices, right? And the choice to go back to stability um, was actually the easier one. Mm-hmm. And I never want to pick something that's going to be easier for, for me. So the more challenging thing to do would actually be to, to stay what I'm doing, to remain persistent, remain consistent in ultimately, you know, trying to impact all of these people with what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And impacting you are, Jordan. It's so cool to see. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into your current book and the mm-hmm. current framework that you've got. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So to talk about the second book, I have to talk a little bit about the first book. Sure. And the first book was just my, I was taking a stab at this self-help world. <laughs> And it was pretty traditional as far as self-help goes. And I'll be the first one to say it's, you know, I'm a solid writer, but I'm not an amazing writer. I had some good stories in there, but it's not, you know, it's it's no New York Times bestseller by any means. But it was a great first go at it, and it really gave me some amazing opportunities and and um, chances to, to assess feedback and figure out how I can change things moving forward to make it better. And one piece of feedback that I got or not even feedback, but just a realization that I had was some of my best friends didn't even read the book. Mm. And the reason for that was because they're just not about self-help. Mm. And they, they don't like how self-help has this authoritative, here's what you have to do to improve your life kind of mentality. They, you know, they don't want to be told what to do, right? So I'm thinking more about this, thinking more about this kind of like for, for a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, this leads me to my next, my next phase, my next book, where it came from this chance encounter in an Uber where we were driving along the East River. I saw this boat called Cloud Nine, mm-hmm. and I asked the Uber driver what Cloud Nine meant to him. 
and he gave me these fascinating stories about it, you know, childlike playfulness and the day he got married, the day he had his children, um, some sort of professional aspiration that he had. And as I heard these stories, I kind of said, okay, there's an amazing storytelling component to the most pivotal moments of our lives that, that can be transferred over to a book or, or life lessons in, in a book. And because of that feedback of, I want my best friends to read my next book, I decided to go against the grain, right? And I'm always trying to think a little bit differently. I don't, I don't know if you know Rich Keller from the Next Gen community, but my one word is is a trailblazer. So not only I'm trying to blaze new trails for other people who I work with, but I'm always trying to blaze new trails for myself and, and flip things on their heads so that it's a little bit different. So I decided to write a narrative that is a, a personal growth book by all means, but it is told through a fable or a tale of a guy who is going about his life going through the motions, but he also has the opportunity to see what his life could have looked like had he made the choices that were based on the road less traveled. So Mm -hmm. that's the next book. And then it's called The Journey to Cloud Nine. And then each chapter is a different cloud. So cloud one, cloud two, all the way to cloud nine, where he he relives these momentous life occasions. And uh, he gets to see, A, the principles that are involved in these big life occasions, and B, what could have happened had he made the choice that was not based off of societal expectations, but rather based off of himself. Mm. So cool. I'm yeah. so excited yeah, to me read too. it. I, I cannot wait till it comes out. What I just want to touch a little bit deeper on something you just mentioned yeah. around, you know, the what if. Mm-hmm. You know, I think so <laughs> many of us, I think so many of us, we get to different stages of our lives and many of us listening on the show are quite young as well. And yeah. we think, you know, what if I just got that job or what if I, I took that route? And yeah. I don't think that stops. I think that might get even more intense as you get yeah. older. Uh-huh. I mean, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on regret, your thoughts on what if. Yeah. So I'll mention a couple of things here. First and foremost, I'm so glad you asked this question because my, my mantra, my life's saying is that I fear the what if more than I actually fear the what. (laughs) And that is just so in line with everything that you just mentioned, because it scares me so much more to consider, you know, two, three years down the road and say, what if I would have reached out to Michelle and had that podcast conversation? Or what if I would have, you know, reached out to the TEDx organizer and tried to do that event, right? It scares me so much more to think about that feeling, that that deep regret than it is to actually make the initiative, to take the initiative, to, to have the conversation, to give the talk, right? Um, so it's cool because the the epigraph of the book is a quote that says, somebody once told me the definition of hell. And it's that on my last day on this earth, the person who I became will meet the person who I could have become. And that's by an anonymous, like nobody knows who said that. But uh, that's basically how I try to live my life, right? So that's, that's, my, that's how I consider the fear of the what if versus the what. Um, so yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so fascinating. Yeah. I, I too have this strange thing around regret. Right. I think it's, I think what's so interesting is that regret trumps the fear mm-hmm. of it all, you know? And I yeah. think when it does, when that, when that comes so strongly, you just think, I'll just do whatever it takes. Yeah. So, so talk to us a little bit about throughout this journey, an instance where you did whatever it took uh-huh. to make something happen. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. So one thing for me, uh, just in, in line with this whole 
regret conversation that we're having is that I think the moment that we decide to make a change often comes from a, a life experience where whether it is uh, immense pain or tragedy or maybe a spiritual awakening or this perfect alignment of the stars. And a lot of the times I say that my aha moment is the realization that I didn't need an aha moment to make a change, to make a difference, to do something else. Um, so I wanted to just make sure I shared that with the, the listeners that, you know, just because you hear the stories about these big time influencers who either had to have uh, an accident or, or they had to go and be a monk for a couple of years, just because those are their stories and how they got started on their new journeys. You don't necessarily need one of those. You, you can do it right now and, and let the fear of the what if overcome the fear of the what. Um, but yeah, sorry. So, so back to your last question. It was about like one time that I just said, whatever it takes for, for what I'm going to do. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one of my goals, my dreams for maybe like 10 years now, no, that's too long, maybe like seven years, <laughs> was to, to give a TEDx talk. I mentioned that before. And um, in giving a TEDx talk, I do you know the book The Third Door came out recently? No. I don't okay. Yeah. So, so I'll give a description of how I got the TEDx talk that is in line with the concepts in The Third Door. So to get a TEDx talk, you can either go through door one, and door one is your Oprah, and TEDx comes up to you and says, hey, Oprah, we want you to give a talk. Boom, that's door one. Door number two is you're not Oprah, but you still have a following and a book, and you've given talks before, and you have a platform. you got all these followers, and they say, hey, apply for our TEDx talk. Or you say, hey, I'd love to apply for your talk, and this is what I'm going to talk about. And then you get accepted to give the TEDx, right? Then there's door three. Mm. And, and door three was about me doing everything that I could in order to get a TEDx talk because I wasn't Oprah and I wasn't yet, you know, somebody even way below Oprah's level. I was just this, this kid who quit my job and I wanted to give a TEDx talk. So door three was the opportunity for me to use my greatest strengths in order to get what I desired. And those strengths were my communication, my relationship building skills and my creativity. So in going through door three, I, I realized that, you know, first and foremost, TEDx events, TEDx speakers are usually booked like four to six months out in advance. So I, I filtered my search by that and I didn't want to leave New York. So I, I filtered my search by that too. So I've got maybe five talks that I could potentially do. This was back in December of 2018. And uh, so anywhere from March to May, I was looking for talks and there were five TEDx organizers who hosted each one of those five events that I said fit the criteria. And on the TEDx website, you can see the name of this person. So my thing that I was going to do was I was going to do my research about these people. I was going to figure out, you know, do, do some uh, appropriate stalking and figure out, you know, where they went to school and what their profession is and who they're connected to and what their interests are and send really personalized messages to each one coming from a place of just genuine curiosity. And then also my, my creativity came in because how can I add value to this person, right? So I sent those messages and I think three responded and I'd have these conversations where, so, so how are you doing this and what challenges you're facing in your current job? Um, and then the natural flow of conversation turned into, so like, why are you reaching out to me? What are you doing here? And I said, well, I happen to be, you know, an aspiring speaker and I've always had this dream to be a TEDx speaker. And Two of the conversations actually led me back to door two, mm. where I had to apply, and I actually didn't get those. But the third conversation, it was this teacher named Sarah in Clinton, New York, upstate New York. She gave an event at TEDx Middle School, where a majority of the audience was middle school students and their parents. 
And the thing that I did was I, I was able to, um, I was able to relay the message that I was going to help with this, you know, mental health routine that helped them before a big exam or big presentation, or, you know, if they're athletes before a big sporting event. Right. So Sarah was actually so interested in that concept that she continued me down door three. She didn't push me back to door two. Uh, she said, you know what, I, I want you to just come and give this talk. You don't need to apply or anything like that. So that was the process that, that got me the TEDx talk. And it was really this, this formulaic approach, but also a one that I really was able to use my greatest strengths in order to, to uncover what I wanted. Mm. Yeah. It's so cool to hear. I love this conversation. Yeah. I think that so many of us think there's only door one and door two. Yeah. And, you know, we go to, we go through our lives just going, you know, trying to get through those doors. And most of the time, you know, it's hard to do so. Yeah. And I think that even for myself, like that rings so truly because mm-hmm. that's the whole reason how the show started. Yeah. It's just having those authentic conversations, putting your hand up and mm-hmm. saying, hey, look, I just want to learn from you. Yeah. And then you know, here we are two years later and it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, I just think that it's not even because you're special or, you know, it's just because you kind of looked at the situation differently. Mm -hmm. So how can we look at situations differently to create more opportunities for ourselves? Oh, I love that question. Um, So recently I was going through the entire Journey to Cloud9 book and at the end of the book, uh, I, I saw something in it where I kind of looked and I said, wow, I wrote that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and um, I remember doing research on the word ecstasy. And the word ecstasy comes from the Greek word ecstasis. And ecstasis literally means to stand to the side of. So throughout our lives, when we're trying to reframe situations and, and go about them with a different perspective, um, we need to step to the side of them. Right. And and in order to promote this next book, I'm doing something where I'm, I'm going up to people who I know, who I don't know, and I'm asking them about their cloud nine moments and their cloud nine moments are these these experiences where they had this rush of euphoria that came to their their bodies that that overwhelmed them. And one of my favorite stories is actually the founder of Next Gen, Justin. He told me that his cloud nine moment was a time during the Next Gen Summit when in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of the speakers that he has to make sure are taken care of, the partners that he has to make sure are taken care of, the thousands of attendees who he has to chat with and connect people to, um, he actually finds just a couple of seconds to like crouch down in a hidden spot. And he takes a look at the center area. And he looks at all the people who are chatting, the smiles, the conversations that are going on. And that's when the rush of ecstasy overwhelms his body. And that is so fitting to that definition that I came up with because he's literally taking a step to the side of what he put on, what he, what he did um, in order to more appreciate the moment. So that's just a long way of saying sometimes you got to just take a step back outside of who you are um, and, and be present to experience and appreciate the gratitude and, and, and really uh, relay the gratitude that you have for the, the, the present moment. Mm. Yeah. I think that is so powerful. I mean, those guys who head up next gen, they're yeah. absolutely amazing. They were actually some of the, 
the first two people who helped mm. me get people on the show yeah. when I came to New York two years ago and yeah. I didn't have anything. I have a podcast. I just, uh-huh. you know, I was still at university. Mm-hmm. I was had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's it's it, it really does. It's, it's so warming to hear that they've had these moments. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, they're so willing to help others find mm-hmm. theirs and, and whatnot. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So let's talk to us a little bit about, talk to us a little bit about where you're going with this. Yeah. You know, what's your end game? You know, do, do you have a vision of, of what you want? And, and if so, what is that? And what does that look like? Yeah. So basically right now, so the book is about six months away from publication and we're chatting in June. So at this point, everything I'm doing is is to promote awareness for what cloud nine is, right? So I'm doing these podcasts and I am having conversations with people. I'm asking them nine questions about how they attain this cloud nine feeling. And I already shared that I create these videos about their cloud nine moments. And, um, Really, what I want to do is I'm the kind of person who every time I hear something like, you can't do this, you can't do that, that just motivates me more and more to go ahead and do those things. So after I you know, hang up the phone for a podcast conversation or after I do a networking call, they, the question I always get asked is, so how are you making money, right? You're, you're obviously not selling the book, so what's next, right? With this book, everything I'm doing is is to actually sell the book. I, I want it to get out there. I want it to get into people's hands because not only does it have these life principles throughout it that you can incorporate and, and really look forward to and reflect upon throughout your entire life, but it's just an opportunity for you to laugh, for you to cry, for you to smile, for you to think, um, for you to feel all the feels. And I want as many people to read that as possible. So, so the six month like present goal is to just get that book in the hands of, of as many people as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, moving forward after that, I was actually, it's funny you asked me that question because mm-hmm. today I was just working a little bit on what the Cloud9 brand is going to look like when the book maybe isn't as relevant or when I'm you know trying to do something else, right? And um, it's it's funny because it's all about positivity. It's all about meaning and purpose and fulfillment and, and euphoria or ecstasy. But, um, I think that the main message when you go through the book and you see that there's this distinct, here's what happened versus here's what could have happened type of path. Um, I've realized that I am an advocate for the road less traveled. And and what I want to see with cloud nine is a world where the road less traveled is in bumper to bumper traffic. So that's really what, what, what I want Cloud9 to be moving forward. I want to do everything I can to encourage those types of decisions. Mm. Yeah. I'm so excited for you, Jordan. I honestly, this it's just so, I love these conversations because they're so refreshing. Yeah. And they really do just allow you to think about where you're at with things. And, you know, in your instance, you know, what Cloud9 looks like for you. Mm-hmm. And I think often we're in the grind, as you said, the bumper to bumper, you know, we're in the grind of the, going through the motions of life or whatever it is, you know, next job or waking up next uh-huh. thing, weekend next, yeah. you know. And I think it's, you know, often we forget to to have these, just give ourselves some time to reflect. Mm-hmm. You know, what advice would you give around finding time in your day-to-day to Mm -hmm. actually reflect? Mm, Absolutely. So every single night before I go to bed, I ask myself the same three questions. I ask myself, did I have more energy today than I did yesterday? I ask myself, was I less distracted today than I was yesterday? 
And I asked myself, did I smile more today than I did yesterday? Right? And what's cool about these three questions is that sometimes the answer is no. But I want to make sure that the answer is never no two days in a row. That's the challenge I set for myself because if I'm not smiling more tomorrow than I did today, then I better make sure two days from now I'm smiling more than I did yesterday because if I don't, then it's going to become a habit and I'm not going to be smiling more any day, right? So um, I I think at the end of the day, it's a really good time to reflect. And, And the thing about those three questions is that I came up with those based off of my core values. So energy is is huge for me. I always want to make sure that I'm energetic going through the day. And it's not so much energy like I'm this charismatic leader and I have all the energy in the world to pump up a crowd like that. I don't really think that's me. It's more so just just focused energy on any particular task. So I, I, I really have come to know myself enough where I need that focus energy in order to have the most productive day possible. Um, so that's one. And then distraction is something that I try to work on all the time. And again, it's about this focused energy on one particular thing or two particular things, because again, I know myself enough where if I hear, you know, if I watch an episode, uh, episode of Shark Tank, I am already creating an idea for that company, or I am, you know, thinking about my own startup that I can do that's a little bit different than theirs. So it's about actually not doing that and focusing more and not being distracted and focusing on what I'm currently doing that's going to uh, benefit you know, myself and the people who are following me. And then smiles is, is everything. So it's, it's about laughs. It's about um, these moments of happiness because you know serious things do happen in life. But the more we are able to not take ourselves too seriously is the more that we can appropriately respond to these serious situations rather than react impulsively, right? So that's, that's you know, those are the three for me and you can make up your own questions, but right before you go to bed, I think is a really great opportunity to reflect mm. in a simple way too. You're mm. just asking yourself questions, answering yes or no. I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Ah, oh, Jordan, we've had an absolute ball. As we come to the close of today's episode, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Yeah that I think are super important that will, and that I think you'll actually really be able to help our listeners by your response. Yeah. The first one is around this whole idea of financial security, mm. money. You know, as you mentioned, it's like, how are you making money off this? And sure. It's a question I get asked a lot. It's, yes. You know, how do you balance, you know, actually living and then doing what you're passionate about? Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your situation now, what you're doing mm-hmm. and what we can do to kind of balance the two. Yeah. So mm. my answer for this is that it's totally different for every single person and, and you need to be cognizant of your current situation so that when you quit your job and go pursue being a professional bowler, mm-hmm. you you have some sense of stability and you're not, you know, you're not hungry begging for food on the street. You don't answer yes to that question anymore. So, um, you know, I can only speak to my own experience and I've set myself up where I started some companies in college and I was in this big corporate job for a little bit where I, I was able to safely save some money so I, that I had a plan and I can live in the city and, mm-hmm. you know, I get support from my parents and um, the mental support as well. So that's the situation that I'm in. Mm-hmm. But if tomorrow somebody told me that everything that I had was being taken away from me, then this journey would look a lot different. And I would make sure that, you know, I had a sense of stability eight, nine hours of the day, but then there was always these other couple hours that I devoted to what I truly want to do. So I would actually say, if you're in that situation, don't 
do what I did. Don't take my advice and just pack your bags and quit your job right away. I would say to um, at least set yourself up for success moving forward by uh, having a plan, by, by testing it out, having a minimal viable product so that you are just slowly but surely getting into this um, full day of your purpose and, uh, and doing that in that mm. way. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. I think it's I find I always love asking this question because I think there's such a balance between mm. the two, pursuing your passion and actually before that starts to make money, how do you actually juggle right. it all? Right. Okay, well, look, Jordan, it's so cool to see all the incredible things you're doing. I mean, you know, I could list so many things, so many accomplishments that you've already had. We've talked a lot about them today. I think most notably your TED Talk and the fact that you're a 2 times author under the age of 25, I just think is absolutely phenomenal. So look, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the amazing work you've done and that you're doing. You really are an example for young leaders out there, those of our generation, our peers who want to do more, who want to be more, and you want to find a way to to pursue their passion full time. And you're just the living, breathing example of that. So we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. And I'm so grateful to have been given the opportunity to tell these stories. So thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate it. Of course. So the final question is how we finish all of our interviews here at Uh the News Project. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? So the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about is all about basically what we've talked about this whole conversation. It's about the, the path that you wish to take and the story you wish to tell and the, the uh, in terms of the Cloud9 book, the, uh, the flight that you choose to, to weave in and out of the clouds. So for me, I look at it like this. When I am... 40, 50, 60 years old, what story do I want to tell my kids that makes me a superhero dad, right? And do I want to tell one where I followed this iffy, so-so career that I just made a lot of money and, and, you know, or tried to make a lot of money so that I could provide for my family and that's what it was all about, which is great. You know, that, that's, that's people's prerogative. I, I'm not here to downplay that. Um, or do I want to tell the story that truly makes me look like the superhero dad that has its ins and outs, that has its ups and downs, that has these exciting moments, that has these pivotal life experiences, right? And, and is that the story I want to tell that is nonlinear? Or do I just want to tell this steady, by-the-book story to my children um, one day? So that's how I look at things, and I think that's the true value of, of pursuing what you want to do rather than what other people expect you to do. It's that you get to craft your own story at the end of the day. So that's, that's really what I'll leave you with. Jordan, ladies and gentlemen, we've had a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for those of us who want to learn more, where can people learn more about you and your work? Yeah. So really simply to overcome choice paralysis or anything, it's just journey to cloud9.com and that's journey to cloud nine.com find out about everything we talked about today, the the 90 second interviews of Cloud9 Moments, the nine question interviews, the um, the TED Talks on there about the last book. Um, more information is on there about the next book and my contact info is on there. So feel free to reach out to me and you, know, you could even text me and uh, I'll answer. 
We love that. We'll link that up in the show notes. Amazing. Thank you so much. And for those of us who are listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>